the higher your income is, the higher your assets are, the more likely you are to get um, justice. But obviously the pandemic happens and litigation is, has become uh, tough because this man with his warehouse worker, with one warehouse worker, was had unloaded the whole truck before I got there. Welcome to the Small Business Never Sleeps podcast. Every week, you'll not only hear from like-minded small business leaders, glean from their journeys, and gain practical advice from our network of trusted advisors, but you'll also hear from marketplace professionals with specific industry focus. Why walk alone when you are the backbone of the American economy? Join your hosts, John Slusser and Nathan Maud, and discover more ways to make your business more efficient and recoup your time. You can find more resources at www.indianasba.com. And now, welcome to the Small Business Never Sleeps podcast. Welcome back to Small Business Never Sleeps. My name is John Slusser, and this is Nathan Maud, and we're the co-founders of the Indiana Small Business Association and your host of Small Business Never Sleeps. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode number 10, and we could not be more excited. Small Business Never Sleeps is geared specifically for that small business owner, as well as those who represent the small business industry. And in today's episode, we have a very special guest, Ali Saeed, partner of Saeed and Little LLP. Thanks for having me, guys. Wally, I've had the pleasure of getting to know you for the last year or so, and I've only experienced great things. So to kick things off, for audience members that don't know who you are, can you share a little bit about yourself? Sure, of course. Um, so, um, of course, as you guys know, my name is Ali Saeed. I uh, moved here when I was 16 from Pakistan. So, obviously, I have a little bit of a diverse background. Uh, I moved here with my family and have lived in Indiana since 1999. So, it's uh, home away from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably my primary home now. I mean, I've spent more time here than I did in Pakistan. So, I'm a Hoosier at heart. And, um, yeah, I went to undergrad here, went to law school here, set up my business here. Uh, married here, had kids here, and uh, now I'm a resident of Westfield, Indiana. Indiana's home. Indiana's home, baby. That's awesome. Well, I'm particularly particularly excited to learn about your story, um, how you ended up in Indiana of all places, and kind of what that transition has been like to Saeed and Little. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, obviously, when I moved, I was 16, mm-hmm. right? and and uh, it, it it was an interesting transition into um, coming, interesting coming mm-hmm. to America story. Absolutely. Right? Everybody who lives back home, I mean, I think they have this vision of you're going to move to the United, the United States and it's going to be like Wonder Years. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that show, but that's what we used to watch because everything runs about five years behind in Pakistan. <laughs> so, you know, we were all watching that show and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to walk into this high school and there's going to be a locker room right next to me and there's going to be hot girls going to come in and that's who's going to be there. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it was nothing like that, of course, right? I walked in with my thick accent, my skin-tight jeans, which were not fashionable at that time. <laughs> you were ahead of your time. I was way ahead of my times. Um, so, yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting transition and I was forced to assimilate and I think it taught me a lot of life lessons as mm-hmm. a result of that, right? I mean, you, you move in, you adapt, you assimilate and um, you learn some important lessons. Awesome. What, what high school? Did you go? Did you go to? So believe it or not, I was uh, in Annandale High School, which I believe was uh, of uh, Meet the Titans fame. Uh, <laughs> so that's uh, I remember the Titans. Or yeah, was that yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where I went there for. I went there for about the first year, and then I moved to Indiana right after. So I was in Virginia okay. for about a year or so. Okay. <clears throat> what school in Indiana? Uh, North Central High School. Gotcha. Did you go to IU thereafter? Uh, then I went to IUPUI. IUPUI. For, and I got my engineering degree. Uh, so I'm a mechanical engineer before I was an attorney. 
um, worked as an engineer for a year. Uh, that was never truly meant for me. Uh, you know, I was just a different person. And, 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 and I think also the job played a role in that, that the job I had, I didn't truly, it, it didn't excite me. I think I always wanted to be a litigator or, or represent people in small businesses. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was always the case. And, and so uh, within a year or so, I decided I wanted to go to law school. Ali, what was um, what would you say some of the challenges were moving from Pakistan to the United States? I mean, as I mentioned, you know, obviously adapting to a new environment is a challenge. But I think I was also faced with a lot of personal challenges as a mm-hmm. result of our move. Um, not many people that know me know this, but my parents actually, um, after I moved, my dad didn't really get his immigration status worked out. So he ended up having to move back to Pakistan. Oh, man. And so I was about 16. It was my mom, me, and my sister. And so it was a small family. We were left to kind of fend for ourselves, and it was a tough time. And I remember, I think, and, and this is sort of an inspirational moment. I don't want this to be a sort of a sob story. Yeah. It's more of an inspirational moment more than anything because some people stepped up in my life that truly really shaped who I am today. Um, and I want to share a story if we have a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, Go for it. Yeah, so, I mean, I remember my dad had just moved. It was the middle of winter. He had to just, you know, unexpectedly leave town. And um, now we were here, we couldn't afford our lease anymore, and we had to move out of our apartment or townhome. We were, at that time, in Nora area. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys were familiar yep. with it. And we had to make a move. Now, on the day we were supposed to move, there was a massive blizzard, you know, historic blizzard. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had asked all my friends to come in and help me move, and nobody shows up. And now I'm in there, we have one day to move out, and it's just me, my sister, and my mom, and we're just lugging all this furniture out. And there's no room for most of that furniture in our new house, in our new apartment. So I have to toss it out. And I remember I had an exam the next day and I am just, you know, struggling. I'm just miserable and struggling and cold. And we're just picking up and putting furniture into this uh, U-Haul truck we had rented. And by the time we were all said and it was all said and done, we were just, just packed up from one home heading to the next one. It was two o'clock in the morning and I had an exam the next day. And I remember I parked the U-Haul truck. My mom and my sister went to sleep. And I decided to head over to the university so I could actually study and take the exam. And I was dreading. So I take the exam. I'm heading back home. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to unload this entire mm-hmm. truck I loaded yesterday. And I walk in. And my dad, my mom and dad were employed by an individual locally here. And I, I can't forget this um, because this man with his warehouse worker, with one warehouse worker, was, had unloaded the whole truck before mm-hmm. I got home. And he was, when I moved in, when I walked in, he was unloading the washer and dryer up this flight of stairs into my house and everything was done. And I can't tell you how inspirational of a moment that was for me because to just watch somebody who runs a multi, multi multi-million dollar company Mm -hmm. who had no reason to absolutely do this was doing something that was beyond his call of duty just for the sake of doing something, the right thing to do, right? To help out a family that really needs it. And I think that truly changed my life perspective. Mm-hmm. I think those moments in life kind of shape who you are, the decisions you make later on. And hopefully it, it starts a chain which impacts other people down the road. So um, if I had to tell you a few defining moments, challenges that have shaped mm-hmm. who I am today, I think that would be, you know, I, I hope I do justice to that inspirational, uh, you know, event that happened in my life. Hopefully, I hope to. But but yeah, truly that, that was a life-changing event. That's such an That's incredible awesome. story. And you know, I know that you're a passionate individual. I know you're a loving guy, caring. I can only imagine that that helped aid your your passion and, and your your caring attitude today. And and I know you're involved in the Indiana Muslim Advocacy Network. 
Um, again, you said it's, it's outside of your call of duty. It's something that you're you're passionate about. You want to help others. You want to do uh, more than than just sit on the sidelines. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, that advocacy network and how you're involved? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the advocacy network it was it was um, it was a culmination of a long sort of journey um, in in the not for profit world that I've, that I've had, and and again, you know, a lot of inspiring people, people who are role models for me. And uh, we started the organization mostly from the perspective that, hey, there are a lot of people that don't know Muslims. You know, of course, um, if you don't know someone and all you hear about is what you hear on the news, it yep. shapes your perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's just natural, you know. So instead of me blaming the news media and blaming everybody for having a, a thought process about me or my people or my, my family, um, it was time to do something different. And I, and I, and I wear it as a as an obligation on my shoulders, right? That I have to take care of that problem. And so uh, that's, that's the reason behind that organization. And the idea is that let's go educate legislators about the Muslim community, uh, that they live in your neighborhoods, that they live in your constituencies um, and the work that they're doing. And at the same time, educate the Muslim community about the politics because much of the Muslim community are immigrants. Uh, people who have moved from different countries and they're just so ingrained and just doing the work on a daily basis. They just go to work, come home, go to work, come home. And um, they're, they're, it's the second and the third generations that eventually get involved in politics, but the first generations don't. So the idea was, let's get them um, involved in politics. Let, let's make sure they're educated about politics, how the political system works, um, and, and combine those two efforts of educating the legislators and educating the Muslim community. And uh, that's that's sort of our vision for the organization. How can people get involved to help support that initiative? Um, absolutely. I, I think the best way to get involved um, is to show up at events that our organization does or or um, reach out to us uh, through financial support, of course, um, uh, at our webpage. Um, but other than that, I think the organization uh, mostly thrives off of participation of individuals. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you for sharing about that. I know that um, you're, you're super passionate about it and you take it very seriously and we're, we're, uh, we're fortunate to walk along your side and within that initiative. So I know it, it, you, you know, you started out as a, as an engineer said it wasn't for you. You went back to school to be uh, a litigator. You knew that law was, was the next step for you. You graduate and you start your own own practice, right? Tell us a little bit about Saeed and Little LLP. <clears throat> um, yeah, so Saeed and Little LLP was, um, as much as I would like to not admit it, it was a complete accident. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's not something I planned. I was, if you told my mom that I was going to start a law firm that's going to eventually employ six or seven people, she would have never believed it. Um, so it was, it was a different experience. Um, it was, uh, I, I kind of fell into it. I, I remember when I graduated from law school, about six days after that, I got married. And I graduated in 2008, the heart of recession. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have, um, you know, I, I had two options. Either I could become a patent attorney uh, because of my engineering background, mm -hmm. for which there were plenty of jobs. Um, incredibly boring work. No, I, I don't mean any disrespect to patent attorneys, <laughs> but fairly boring work. Uh, or I could have done what I wanted to do, but would have to open up my own shop. So... I went and reached out to some um, fellow attorneys who, um, who had thriving practices. And I went up to him and I said, hey, teach me how to do the work and give me a percentage, you know, and you decide what percentage you want. And I'm okay with it. I just want to learn how to do the work. 
And so they started, and I remember the, the math was they would give me a third of whatever they were getting. I would do all the work. They'd teach me the work, and they'd supervise the work. And so I started racking up files. And eventually, one of the guys that was handing me work became my partner. Okay. Um, so within a year or so, um, after graduating from law school, I had started Saeed and Little. Um, and his name should have been first, but obviously we weren't going to call it Little Saeed. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, and, that's, and that's how it started. And, 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 you know, God has a way of making things work because uh, I ended up doing something that I said I was going to do when I went into law school. Most people, when they go to law school, they say, I want to do civil rights work. Mm -hmm. that's, that's sort of the running joke in law school, right? I want to do civil rights work. And everybody just rolls their eyes and says, yeah, you're going to do civil rights work until those loans hit your bank account. And then nobody does civil rights work. And so somehow things worked out where I was able to, you know, fend for the little guy and stand up for him and, and do consumer rights and civil rights work and completely unplanned. I, you know, I wish I could take credit for it, but it was really... Um, something that I didn't plan on, but just ended up falling into. For those curious, can you just talk a little bit more about what you mean by civil rights work or consumer rights work? Just share a little bit more about how you get involved. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we do cases that are, I mean, that's a good question. So, so typically a case would look like where somebody's being wronged by a company or a corporation or a large insurance company or a mortgage company. So we would do cases against mortgage companies for predatory lending. Or we would do cases against insurance companies for not covering um, insurance claims. So one of my one of the cases that I'm most proud of in my legal career, we settled a case against a large insurance company that was not providing um, insurance benefits to kids with autism for a certain very valuable type of therapy, and we were able to get that relief and change that that policy at that insurance company. So you know those types of cases uh, leave an impact on the community uh, as well as on you and, and sort of define who you are. So I, I, people like to frame us as, as plaintiff lawyers, but we're really an impact litigation firm. We do cases which leave an impact on society and that's how we uh, perceive ourselves. And at Saeed and Little, <clears throat> and that's kind of what drew, drew me to you when we first met is kind of your, the model you handled or the way you handle your business um, for that small business owner, you know what, maybe I have 10 employees, man, when I hear the word lawyer, I think cha-ching, cha-ching, money signs. <laughs> um, but you've kind of structured your business in a different way. Have you not? Yeah, absolutely. As I told you about my journey, you know, I started this law practice and we were consumer rights and civil rights. And so the whole idea the whole time was that, you know, in the United States, we are metting out justice on a, sliding scale of economic wherewithal, right? So the, the higher your income is, the higher your assets are, the more likely you are to get um, justice. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to equal the playing field. And we did that on the other front and we wanted to translate that for the small business owner as well. Because the small business owner gets screwed every single time, right? I mean, those are the guys that can't afford the litigator. Those are the guys that can't afford to fight. And so they just cave in all the time. That happens every day, all day typical story would be somebody would come to me and say, hey, I could have gotten this contract reviewed, but I didn't. It would have cost me $2,000 now, but now it's a fifty dollars to $100,000 problem. And so I wanted to fix that. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and therein comes the idea which you are discovered, which you are uh, hinting at, which is, you know, the subscription model. I wanted to take away um, the, the, the tag, the, the sticker shock of an attorney. 
and, and allow these small businesses to come to us. And so what we did was we developed a subscription model, which is uh, for a set amount of money, um, generally for, for um, example, sake, $1,000 a month mm-hmm. uh, for five hours of my time, five hours of my paralegal's time. And so that allows people to have access to me. They don't have to worry about getting an additional bill in the mail all the time. Um, and they can, they can bring their problems to me because at the end of the day, I can only solve the problems that people are reaching out to me about. And if I shut the gate on that and people can't even call me because they're scared mm-hmm. about the price, I will never be able to even charge them for the problems, for solving the problems because I don't know about them. So that was the idea. It's good for my business. I don't claim to be a messiah here, but you know, it's, it's good for business and yeah. I think it's good for the small business community. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Absolutely. So let me ask you, being, being a business owner, uh, managing your practice, um, how has that changed your perspective on how you view business, business today? Um, so I'll, I'll tell you how it's changed my perspective largely. I mean, it's, it, so growing up in, 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 the environment and sort of socioeconomic background that I have, right? Growing up in that environment, I always understood what it would mean for someone to not get the next paycheck, right? My mom brought in at that time about 1800 bucks a month. And I knew that if we didn't get that money, this is before taxes, which I can't even mm-hmm. imagine today in this right. day and age, how do you survive on that, right? But she doesn't get the next paycheck. We're homeless. That is... That is a powerful story. And, and when you realize and you think about being a small business owner and employing people and making those decisions, it's, it's carried forward because now those decisions are very meaningful, mm-hmm. right? And, and to me, giving somebody a job, giving them this opportunity to live in an apartment, live in a house, whatever, pay their bills. But at the same time, having that power to take that away, that's very meaningful. You have to make sure you exercise that power with a lot of restraint and a lot of responsibility. So I think it's changed the way I view my role as a small business owner, mm-hmm. uh, my own perspective has. And now what I used to see from a consumer or an employee standpoint, now I get to see from an employer standpoint. And I think it's important for most small business owners to perceive their role in, in such a fashion. Absolutely. So with everything you just said, um, what are some of the daily, weekly, yearly things you do that brings fulfillment to your life from your career? That's a tough question. I, <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I wish I could be a model for a person who spends time for like, you know, spiritual and, and internal mm-hmm. nourishment, but I, I really am not. I mean, we're so caught up yeah. uh, in our business all the time, being an attorney and a business owner that I think there's little time that, that you get. I think most of the satisfaction I draw is from my work. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if I can point to anything outside of my work. Um, I think outside of my work would be the not-for-profit work, but, mm-hmm. but beyond that, you know, it's almost all from the people you help, the businesses mm-hmm. you help, and, and seeing their success, seeing, seeing where those individuals are. Um, I think there's, it, this may sound wrong, but I think the most satisfying feelings I've had um, in my professional career has been when I take a six-figure check out of a big bank that it was worth pennies for and hand it to somebody who is, you know, unemployed. Absolutely. And, and that to me um, seems like eternal justice. Hey, that's, that's so great to hear about how, you know, your, your firm interacts, how you guys are doing so well and, and successful and helping so many different individuals and small businesses out there. It's, it's absolutely inspiring to me. And, and that feeling of success is, is just a driving force that can keep us moving. But I have to imagine things probably haven't always been easy. 
but I think you would agree that we find our greatest leaps of growth through adversity. And a lot of the small business owners that are listening into Small Business Never Sleeps, they find themselves in adversity and in different kinds of obstacles, and they're trying to, to find ways to overcome. So that being said, can you just share an, an obstacle or a struggle in business that you've had to fight through? Um, sure. Uh, and, and those are, you know, perpetual. They, they mm-hmm. come in all the time and frequently. Um, I think the, the pandemic, I think most small businesses can relate, right? I mean, it's, it's forced you to make decisions and it's, it's, it's about making these challenges into opportunities. Um, so I, I would say that at the start of the pandemic, representing small businesses and doing, and what I, something I didn't mention was that we have started a probate and estate litigation and, and probate and state practice, uh, trust practice at our firm. Um, and so before the pandemic, those weren't at the forefront of our thought process. We weren't truly pushing for those practices, but obviously the pandemic happens and litigation is, has become uh, tough because court proceedings and everything are delayed and, and, and in some instances over two years, which means uh, in a firm that was built on a contingency fee model, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the cash flow has been cut off. And so we had to reinvent ourselves a, lo- ourselves a little bit. And, and so we turned around and focused on it. And I think it was a blessing in disguise because it forced us to do something we should have always done. I think it's something that's, that brings value to the firm. I think it's something that we've always intended to branch out into and it just forced our hand to do something. So I think that was a challenge. I think we've overcome it. We're doing well um, uh, in these practice groups that I just mentioned. And, um, and, and I'm sure this is one of many challenges we will face in the future where small businesses always have to pivot, right? Mm-hmm. Every few yeah. years, it's just reinventing and pivoting. I love it when a successful small business owner we ask them, hey, what's some struggles or some obstacles that you've dealt with? And they they always share their obstacle, mm-hmm. but it, they always share how it got better on the other side because they did make that pivot. They were willing to um, overcome and, and to fight through that. So uh, kudos to you for keeping your head down and, and pushing forward. Yeah, you're probably not inviting the guys who didn't make it past the struggle. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the case. We love all the stories. Oh, we do. So he asked you about the obstacles, but... <clears throat> I'm going to bring a little sunshine into the room. Um, what's one success story that kind of keeps you moving and motivates you, you know, to get up and go fight every day? Um, I think it has to be the story I shared with you earlier, which was um, the case we settled against a large insurance company. Okay. I think that was, um, you know, obviously our firm has had a lot of successes. Mm-hmm. We've, we do a lot of sex abuse litigation against large um, NGBs. Um, so uh, Olympic committees and, and, you know, U.S. gymnastics, U.S. swimming. And so we've done a lot of those cases that have done have brought about a lot of meaningful change. Um, similarly, the insurance case that I was talking to you about, I mean, those are the, we as a society are defined by how we treat the most vulnerable amongst us. And I think that case in, on some level allowed me to, you know, put my two cents in that conversation. And Ali, I, you know, we like to say that discipline's no fun and motivation is, is only temporary, but commitment's something that helps us uh, stay locked in. How would you define commitment and how do you stay locked into some of the, the future visions and goals that, that you and your firm have? Um, I think it's just to, it just, it's, it's your commitment to the vision and, and hard work. Um, I think it's many a times it becomes, I, I, when you pose that question, the immediately as a small business owner, my mind goes to, I think you're talking about how do you stay on a growth trajectory while being in the business at all times, right? You're spending all these hours, you're putting so much time and effort, you're constantly in the middle of the business. How do you grow? How, do you, how are you staying true to the vision that you've had for 10 years? And I think that's, that's tough. I, 
uh, we're able to do it at our firm because we have multiple partners. Some, someone has a more flexible schedule at some point in time and they can focus on it. So it's always, well, it's tough to find the right partner, but when you do find it, it's invaluable. Uh, it helps you increase your capacity on the business, on, on, on increasing the growth of your business. Um, and in a different, on a lot of different um, ways. For instance, right now, as I'm sitting here and I've been in the, in, in the middle of some, you know, big transactions that have taken up all my time, we've had to move. And my partner has put up, pulled, you know, um, uh, has had to take, do the majority of the work on finding a new place for us to move into. So, I mean, those types of things generally are uh, helpful um, when, you, when you've been able to increase capacity within your firm. Awesome. For our listeners who don't know, you are a, a partner in the Indiana Small Business Association. Um, we've been together going on about eight months now. What are some of the benefits or things you like about ISBA um, that you think maybe could be beneficial to your book of business as well as your clients? Yeah, I think the people involved in ISBA, all the partners, I mean, obviously we all get along and we can sit around a dinner table and share stories mm-hmm. and we're all friends. And But I think beyond that, it's the fact that professionally I can trust everyone involved. Uh, I think that's tough to find. I think the group that we have together, they are very competent individuals who uh, I could close my eyes and refer somebody to John or you and, mm-hmm. and say, hey, they'll be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope you guys feel the same way about me, right? And, and I think that's invaluable for somebody to be able to come to ISBA and say, hey, I'm a small business. I need help. And for, have, for them to have all their bases covered in one room, I think that's invaluable for small businesses. And that's what truly attracts me to this group. Yeah, that's great. I couldn't have said it better, and I, I absolutely agree more. Your Honor show, Small Business Never Sleeps. What do you think about that phrase, and how, how can you relate to that? Oh, I relate to it because I didn't sleep last night. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we don't. I mean, the small business has to be vigilant at all times. And and like I mentioned before, right, there's trials and tribulations at every corner for small business owners. And and people don't realize and people don't understand unless you've owned a business yourself that how many times you will have to pivot, how many times you will have to make a change, accept a challenge and use it as an opportunity. And and to me, that that phrase encapsulates that exact uh, nature of, of the beast that we deal with. And yeah. uh, it's fulfilling, uh, but it's a challenge. Yeah, I completely get it. There's a lot of small business owners listening in today, a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs What's the one or two pieces of advice that you would give to them? Um, from a first generation immigrant, I think we are blessed with this opportunity to live in a country where our hard work could pay off. You know, it's not what it used to be, but it's far better than a lot of other countries. And I, I would say hard work. I, I think if you stick at it, stick to it, if you work hard, um, there's a lot of opportunities along the way. And uh, just make sure you're there at the right time, the right moment. Only do that making sure you're by working hard. Ali, thank you so much for joining us today on Small Business Never Sleeps podcast. I really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better today and gathering a clear understanding of you and your story and how you can really help a small business thrive. Yeah, we really appreciate the great detail you provided us today and how we can better position you as a resource for small business owners here in the great state of Indiana. We want to thank you again for joining us today, Ali. And any last words you have for us? No, I, I th- thank you for having me, guys. Uh, I appreciate you guys and look forward to our next luncheon. What, what <laughs> about, uh, where, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you guys can get me, uh, find me on my website, uh, saeedandlittle.com. Okay, and for our listeners as well, you can follow or you can follow him and find him on the indianasba.com. 
and all his email and website information will be there as well. Thank you for the plug, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, Ali. This is the Small Business Never Sleeps podcast. You can find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and all of your other favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, iTunes, Google, and Stitcher. Next time, Nathan and I will spend some time walking through the journey of a small business owner's path toward success. Don't forget to keep on grinding because small business never sleeps. You've been listening to the Small Business Never Sleeps podcast. If you are a small business owner who's interested in unlocking the potential of your business and would benefit from a network of other small business owners, then head on over to www.indianasba.com and learn how the Indiana Small Business Association can help you today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Small Business Never Sleeps podcast. While you're there, take a few moments to leave a review. And don't forget to keep grinding because small business never sleeps.